What a special blessing it is to be able to go through a meeting like we have gone through and not have to leave, but to stay with y'all um, on, on Sunday morning. It's a, it's a great blessing, one that uh, has not been afforded unto us very often, um, so I, I count it a rich blessing. I'd spend a lot of time telling you uh, what a wonderful time we've had this weekend and how much um, I've grown to love you and this church how much I love your pastor, uh, but words would fail, um, so I'm not going to try. Um, I would just ask that you, you trust me that those things are, are true. You've made us feel so welcome, and I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you what a special blessing it is for me to share this time with someone who I love very much, someone who I've known really all my life, and I have looked upon from afar, but not anymore. I love you, and I, I, I count this opportunity a real blessing for me. Now, I'm going to have to get this horse in a full gallop um, this morning, so call your attention to John, Gospel of John, chapter 19. I'm going to do a little more reading than I normally do, uh, which means I will do a little less commenting, um, which will probably be to your benefit, because <clears throat> there's no error in the Word of God. Amen. But I need to set this context before you in order for me to, I trust, get off of my heart what's on my heart. I went to bed last night with it on my heart. I woke up with it this morning um, with it on my heart. And I, only, I know only one way um, to, to relieve that. So please be prayerful. John chapter 19, the setting is um, the, the mockery that has gone on, uh, the mock trial, um, Christ is before Pilate. Uh, the Jews, with all of their, their being, are crying out uh, for his demise, that they would rid themselves of the Savior. Let that thought resonate for just a minute. <clears throat> they would rid themselves of the Savior. For they saw him as a, a, a great enemy to that which they held most dear. And that was their lofty status that they had constructed and elevated themselves to. So I'm going to read down through, I'm going to skip through some of this. You Bible readers, you'll fill in the blanks and if not, read it all afterwards. But I'm, I'm driving for just a couple of key points before we, we go to where, where it's on our heart. Fourth verse, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, saying unto the Jews and, uh, and the chief priests and all of those that are crying, uh, crucify him. Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Amen. Now, I don't give Pilate a whole lot of credit in this, in, in this account. Um, it's interesting some of the things that he does, and we'll address some of them, but he got this absolutely right. Amen. I find no fault in him. Why? Because there was no fault in him. Amen. And Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man, setting him before the Jews, that he, the Lord had been mocked, he had been beaten, they, uh, they made, the Romans made fun of him, and spat upon him, and, his, and, and, and did things so horrific unto the Savior. And he opened not his mouth. He endured it all. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him. 
Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. It's an interesting thing. Pilate, um, one who has, uh, we know by, uh, by history's account, has, uh, uh, has uh, endure, or accounted for numerous crucifixions. That's what the Romans did. That was their method of punishment, uh, corporal punishment for, for criminals. And here he's saying unto the Jews that are there, here, you take him and crucify him. You're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, I see no fault in him. And he steps, he steps away from the equation. Then, then the, listen to this. <laughs> you know, Christ was accused of two things by, by these high priests and by the Jews in general. Here's the first one. For the, then the Jews, or the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by our law, he ought to die. Because he made himself the son of God. They were accusing him of blasphemy, if you will. Blaspheming against uh, the law of God, against the things that they held most dear. And they thought, uh, it's, it's interesting how the words of the Jews uh, come back to incriminate them. <laughs> I, you know, I love that. Right. He says, but he made himself the son of God. Skip down to the 10th verse. Then Pilate saith, uh, then, then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee. I love Christ's answer. Amen. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power um, at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. Pointing to the Jews. They had, I want you to keep that in mind. Now the Romans were not guiltless in what they did. They by... Uh, wicked and cruel hands they crucified the Lord um, I think over there in, in the book of Acts uh, that yet again is pointing to the Jews because they cried out crucify him crucify him and they used uh, the Romans and their uh, their acts of crucifixion to execute that which they uh, they cried out for listen he says and from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him but the Jews cried out um, if thou listen to this if thou let this man go Thou art not Caesar's friend. Mm. Now the Jews were crying out that the Lord had blasphemed. And that's why they wanted to crucify him. Well, they see very clearly Pilate's not really having any of that. That's not resonating with him. So then they now, uh, they now attack uh, uh, Pilate himself. Saying, if you don't crucify him, he's calling himself a king. You're no friend of Caesar's. It gets, it gets even worse. <laughs> he says, Thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Here's the, here's the second accusation against the Savior by the Jews. They're now accusing him of treason. Of treason. Blasphemy and treason. Now under the Roman uh, economy, treason was worthy of death. Worthy of death. So the Jews were, uh, they were constructing this in their mind. You know, we as, God, we as, uh, as individuals, as carnal creatures, uh, we come up with some of the strangest things um, uh, to uh, self-justify our behavior, don't we? We do that. Every one of us does that. Look at, look at the account of this. Again, we've got to stay on a full gallop here. And it was, in the 14th verse, and it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, um, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Behold your king. But they cried out, 
Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. This weekend, we have been highly blessed to see our king high and lifted up and his train filling the temple that we might cry out unto him. What a great blessing it is that, that we are through an eye of faith that we don't worship an earthly king. We worship the king. Look at what happens in this account. 19th verse. And Pilate, this is, this is wonderful. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. If you look at the Roman crucifixion, what they would typically do is that they would have the cross and upon the cross... They had what was called a titleless. And they would write the name of the guilty party. They would also write the crimes against the guilty party. The reason that they did that was so that those that were in observation of it, not so much would just know the individual, but they would see the crimes that were worthy of being crucified under the Roman economy. Hung upon the cross so everybody might see. Stay with me. Pray the Lord will connect our dots here. Listen to what Pilate put upon the titleist of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. No truer words could have been said. Amen. I don't give Pilate credit for that. Right. I don't. Where is the accusation? Upon the titleist. It's an interesting question. Lord willing, I'm going to answer it. Before time's up, I have to. Listen to this. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. You know, I love the public nature of the work of God. Amen. A lot of times we look at God's work and the things that He has done historically, the things that He does in our life, and we, we look at it sometimes even in a little bit of a, a mystical way that it's not out in the open and it's not public. I'll tell you, I love uh, meetings like this where we are able to come together, close out the things of the world. There's no platitudes. There's nothing of that worldly involved in this setting. And for a period of time, we are blessed to just escape that. And come together with those of like precious faith. And attend to the things of the Lord. Our conversation speaks of the Lord. Uh, the, our behavior one with another. The fellowship that we have. Uh, not only with one another as individuals. But more importantly the fellowship we have with the gospel. And most importantly the fellowship we have with God. Amen. Because if we don't have that church we don't have fellowship. Amen. We just don't. 
we have a social ingathering, we have social activity, and we, and we like one another because of personality. I'll tell you, I love you not because of your personality. I love you because you're kindred in Christ. Amen. Kindred in Christ. And that's deeper, Brother Mark. Amen. That's deeper. He says, let me get, stay with this. I love this. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written. You know, there are no, uh, there, there, there's just no words in Scripture that ought not to be there. <laughs> this is the inspired Word of God. Amen. The Spirit inspired John to write this. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. He got them all. All that would pass in observation of the cross. All that would pass in observation of the titleist upon the, the top of the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Again, no truer words have been spoken. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Write not king of the Jews. That's a, that's a factual statement. That's a name. That's a title. Write not king of the Jews that others would come in and see this man hanging on the cross uh, and say, uh, you see, Pilate had authority. When, when Pilate did something in public, he had authority to do so and people would adopt, they would align with that king of the Jews. Right. The high priest said, no, no, don't write that. You write, he said, he was king of the Jews. In order that that might be uh, the crime that he committed. Which was in keeping uh, with the titleist in, in and of itself. The list of crimes. The high priest said, no, you got to write, he said. That's why we want to crucify him. Pilate answered. What I have written, I have written. What I have written, I have written. Again, I do not give Pilate credit <laughs> for that. Did he have some epiphany that uh, this man was indeed uh, the Messiah, the King of the Jews? Uh, scripture's silent on that. So shall I be. It is sufficient that he said, what I have written, I have written. It's not going to change. I'll tell you the truth we have in Christ Jesus. It's not going to change. Amen. I remember when the kids were little and they would say, uh, uh, Dad, Mom, how is it that we know that we're going to the real church? There's so many churches. There's so many that are in between where we are and where we drive to every Sunday. Uh, why, why are we going all that way? How do we know we're the, the true church? The only answer, and I think it came from the Lord, the only answer that I could give um, is um, if you look at those other churches, they ebb, they flow, they change, they modify to society's pressures, and the true church stands firm. Amen. Is it the same place? I love the illustration you gave last night, and we're sitting at the table. That truth um, sits here. Brother Mark's so visual, I love that. 
Error moves. Error moves and tries to touch truth often enough that perhaps somebody would look at it and say, well, this has got to be the new truth. I'll tell you, the truth stands still. What does the church need today in 2024? Exactly what Christ put in it all the way back when he established it. Plus nothing else. Plus nothing else. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. All right. Get ready. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Pray that the Lord will bless us to connect this thought. There's so much here. I want to read a little bit to you and make a couple of points I trust that are in keeping with, with, with the truth of Scripture. And you consider what I say and the Lord give you understanding. Ninth verse of the second chapter. For in Him dwelleth. That's a, a present perfect tense verb. In Him dwelleth. It has always dwelt. Um, as, as he came into this, uh, his, the realm of his creation, and it will always dwell. And for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I love this. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We go through the experience of our life so much of the time and and we work hard uh, trying to, to come and arrive at a place of, of completeness and arrival, if you will. I've, uh, I've accomplished enough that I, I feel to be um, adequate in, in what it is that I'm trying to do. And we get, we get sideways so much of the time because we look and we, we convince ourselves uh, that prosperity is a destination. And it's not. It's a journey. Prosperity is not a destination. Right. You know what our destination is? Paul says we are, go- we are going on unto perfection. There's your destination. Amen. The person of Jesus Christ. We're going to get there one day. Amen. We're going to arrive there, Brother Mark. In the meantime, we're going on. And I'll tell you, the, the weekend that we've had here, um, I have felt uh, to be in a prosperous condition. I have felt that, that the Lord has been in this place that has rich, I lifted my heart, lifted my spirits. The conversations that we've had have been so encouraging. And those that would come and just want to talk about the Lord, I'll tell you, if you want your, your ministry to preach better, ask them questions. Uh, uh, converse with them. Uh, that the Lord would, would move them to get into Scripture. And we're not, we're not always going to have the answer right away, by the way. <laughs> we're just not. And we may never arrive at it, Brother Sonny. By God's mercy, we will. Prosperity is a journey. And this is the most prosperous, perhaps the only prosperous journey. This is the abundant life. Amen. The abundant life. Christ said, I come that they might have life. He brought life with him. He is life. And that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. I'll tell you, if the life this week got any more abundant, I couldn't stand it. I, it you need grace. You go through a meeting like this and you hear some of the sermons uh, that have been preached and our flesh is, is wore out. But the Spirit says, give me more. Give me a little bit more. I want to get closer to Him. I want to know more about Him. We are complete in Him. Amen. In Him. Oh, that little word, in. 
We are sliding over a lot of good stuff. Which is the head of principality and power. Alright, now listen to these next verses. In whom? It does not say by whom. It says in whom. You're in him. And in him, in whom ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I'll get back to that in a minute, Lord willing. Buried with him. Buried with him. In, uh, in excuse me. Buried with him in baptism, wherein, put these on so you can read. Also, ye are risen with him. To the degree we are buried with him, the same degree, Brother Mark, we are risen with him. Through the faith, I don't know who said it this weekend. It was really good. It was the truth if ever I heard it. Uh, the faith of God. I think it might have been you. The faith of God um, speaks of the fidelity of God to his promise. Amen. That's what God's faith is. It is his fidelity. His unwillingness to compromise the promise Amen. that he made. In covenant before the world began and made unto us his people. Because he obligated himself. <laughs> Through the faith of the operation. That word operation uh, simply means a power and efficacy. Does God have the power to perform that which he promised? I'm here to tell you the God we worship this weekend does. And he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's a God you can pray to. Talk to people sometimes and say, I'm having a real hard time with my prayer life. It seems like the prayer doesn't even get to the top of my head and it just kind of fizzles out. I, I just don't know uh, what's wrong. Am I asking for the wrong thing? The first question I ask, who are you praying to? Amen. Who are you praying to? Amen. Is the person you're praying to, is he capable? Has he promised to hear your prayer? Has he given you instruction? How it is that you would approach unto him uh, in prayer? Has he given uh, unto you uh, uh, things that you can look upon as evidence that he heard your prayer? That's someone worthy of praying to. Amen. I don't have an electrical problem and call a plumber. I, we have, we are complete in him and he's the head of all principality and power. Amen. He's got the power. Amen. Got the power. And he loves you with an everlasting love. i got to move here. He says, And you being dead... No, i got to get back. i got to finish the verse. Through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Who's working here? Who's working here? It's God that is working here. Now, Christ came and fulfilled all that was set aside in the covenant of grace. Before the foundation of the world. And he came and he did exactly what was required to redeem the elect family of God uh, back under the Father. And thereby our hope is bright. We will live with God in glory. How do we know that? He came forth that third day. He came forth. And the Spirit came down. We don't talk about the Spirit enough. The Spirit that we've had this weekend. It cries out with evidence. That he's not here, he's risen, he's at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Amen. When that spirit wells up in your heart, thank God for the presence of that because it, it should be reminding you that your Savior is seated at the right hand of the throne of God only waiting until the elect family of God is complete and then I can just see him standing and saying, Father, I will be right back. I paid for her. I bought her. I'm going to go get her. I'm going to go get her. Amen. He waits. He endures with much long-suffering. Long-suffering is a noun in that uh, regard that Paul uses. The verb is enduring. Oh, but Peter uses long-suffering and it's a verb. (laughs) He's talking about long-suffering toward us. Waiting till the elect family of God is complete. I don't think he'll linger not an instant, Brother Mark. Why would he? Why would he? He's been without his bride. By his side. Why would he wait? That's my opinion. (laughs) If you don't like it, leave it with me, please. All right, let me finish this. All right. He says, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. We read words like in the 11th verse, circumcision, and immediately our mind goes to uh, the the, the work of the new birth, the cutting away, if you will, um, and immediately our mind goes there. Well, circumcision by definition is a cutting away and a complete separation. I don't believe Paul's talking about the new birth in verse 11. I also don't believe that he's talking about water baptism in verse 12. I think it's the same baptism that he talks about in the Roman letter in the 6th chapter. Let me get to these last two verses and I trust I'll make the point. The focus of Paul in this writing is that we might stand back and see clearly who's hanging on the cross. Mm. The context is the cross. Where did the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, where was it nailed to? When did that happen? On the cross of Calvary. Paul's eyes on the cross. And he tells God's people, the church at Colossae here, you're complete in him. He's got all power um, uh, uh, and, and he's head over all principalities. Uh, this is the, the man, Christ Jesus, who in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he's hanging upon the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Paul says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. There was no guilt in him. But the titleist wasn't complete. It had his name. And he took 
the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. And he completed the title as nailing it to his cross. The innocent for the guilty. For he was made to be sin. No, you need grace to understand that. For he was made to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a transaction. Amen. Greatest transaction that has ever occurred. One party became poor even though he was rich. The other party became rich beyond compare. When we were more, if you will, than 10,000 talents in debt without a farthing to pay, we had nothing to offer. I want to get this last point before that second hand clicks 12. I want to hear you preach this morning. Listen to this. Listen to this. Christ, Christ took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and he nailed it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I submit to you that what Paul is, is pointing us there to, he made an open shoe of the true guilty party. Can you imagine those Jews that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The the chief priests uh, would certainly be standing in observation uh, in order that they might be able to say, see, we told you it it was nothing. This man deserved to die. And then you look at the events on the cross of Calvary and the things that were accomplished there, Brother Mark. And the fulfillment of prophecy and the things that, that Christ said. And then the lights went out. Because it was not permitted that man should see what was going on with the Godhead. It was not ours to see. It was between them. And then he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Letting us know that it was necessary that that take place, that, that he might truly die. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He's the only one that could do that. By the way, he's the only one who can still do that. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost, and God shook the earth. Amen. Shook the earth. And Christ made an open show of the wickedness and the true guilty party of the Jews that stood in observation of what was going on. There were those that were standing there that you know had doubt at the beginning and, and, and certainly they said, surely this must be the Son of God. Amen. Aren't you thankful we live on this side of the resurrected Jesus Amen. Christ so we can cry out, surely this is the Son of God. Amen. Amen.